live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. This is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Mark Stone on long-term IR. Jack Eichel will make his Golden Knights debut tomorrow when the Avalanche come to Vegas. Did that kid say I'm ready to roll? Uh, ready to rock? Ready to rock. I think it was ready, ready to, to rock. rock. All right, he's ready to rock. Uh, is what Jack Eichel said. He also said that um, he says he has a lot to prove. I have a lot to prove to myself, to the rest of the league, to the organization. Does Jack Eichel have a lot to prove? Um, he might have. I mean, he's, he had a surgery no one's had in the history of hockey. So he might think that, uh, you know, people are going to doubt who he is and if he can ever get back to the real Jack Eichel. So I don't know if he has anything to prove to the rest of the league. But the organization made a move for him, so maybe internally he thinks he has to prove something to them. Okay. All right. I mean, I, it's it's an interesting thing because you've got a guy who's probably going to be the best player on this team. Uh, I think he's the best player, right? I was going to ask Pete DeBoer this. Because, look, the fans are going to show up tomorrow night thinking, oh, he needs a goal and two assists. And if he doesn't, then what the <laughs> hell do we trade that for that guy for? I mean, you know these fans, right? I mean, they're just going to be out of the control with their expectations. But I'm going to ask Pete DeBoer later today, like, and I'll ask you now, what should be, given the type of surgery it was and how long he's been out, like, what should be the reasonable expectations for him? Uh, I mean, in game one or period? Uh, no, not period, because I think by the time the playoffs is, he needs to be Jack Eichel right. for them to win a cup. It, by I mean, the time like, the playoffs you know, I mean, here, he should be the best player on the yeah, team. Yeah, he should be the best player on the team. Um, next two or three weeks, you know the fans are going to be out of their minds with this, but what should we expect from him given this surgery? For him to not be not get hurt again, oh, like in all seriousness, like <laughs> five games or so, first five games, don't be hurt, be playing regular minutes. Like, don't there shouldn't be any reason that Jack Eichel isn't playing a normal minute workload right. or whatever. Well, yeah, if he's healthy enough to play and be on the front line, then he needs to play normal right. minutes. So that that to me now, granted, uh, don't be horrific and be the reason your team gives up like two goals in a game, I guess. But like. As far as point production, I don't think there should be too much should point be expectations. production. Yeah. So uh, I think early on expectations are sort of just don't be hurt. Don't uh, whatever. Prove you're healthy. Right. That's sort of the key here. And then over expectations by the time we get to well, he needs to be the, the best playoffs, player on the team. You're expecting him to be the best Especially player. Especially with Mark Stone's b- uh, bad back. All right. Let's talk about lines because we got a, apparently a preview, potential preview. In practice yesterday, Dave Shane tweeted out the lines from practice. Your top line, Max Pacioretty, Jack Eichel, and with Mark Stone on long-term IR, it's Evgeny Dodonov. Your second line, Matthias Janmark, William Carlson, and Riley Smith. Your third line, Jonathan Marchessault, Chandler Stevenson, and Nick Waugh. And we don't care about the fourth line today. First off, before we get to any Eichel stuff here, the misfits the got misfits broken up. Bro- been broken up. Is this that was the legitimate? Biggest, that was the biggest surprise of all. And y- you know these lines and players. Look at the second and third line. Why? What's? I'm going to be honest. I think it's a way to say they're not punishing Chandler Stevenson. I think that's what this is. I think Chandler Stevenson has performed well. Second good season. If you put him on the third line with, with Nick Janmark Wall and, and Matthias Janmark, uh, I think you can look around as Chandler Stevens and then say, what did I do to deserve this, right? I deserve better. If you bump Jonathan Marcheseau down, it's still a demotion. But if you bump Jonathan Marcheseau down there, at least you can point Pete DeBoer, whoever can point to and say, well, 
It's not really the third line. No, you're, you're with playing Jonathan with the All-Star. Marshall, so. You're playing with an right. All-Star. So in all seriousness, I think this is a way to reward slash not punish Chandler Stevenson for playing well. And I didn't think of that. I, think I didn't think and, of that. And there is a level here of trying to spread it throughout the top three lines. Right. As opposed to just loading up the best two lines you can possibly have. But that's your potential top nine for tomorrow with the misfits broken up. Now, on that top line, and this is where it gets interesting and where we're idiots because we're doing the thing I keep saying we shouldn't do, and that is assume this team is healthy. We shouldn't do it. But if they're healthy, <laughs> the top line in the playoffs, Pacioretty, Eichel, Stone. And Mark Stone. Based on this, your second line, Jan Mark Carlson Smith, and your third line is Jonathan Marshall, Chandler Stevenson, and Evgeny Dodonov. Yeah. Jesus, they better win the Stanley Cup. It's a hell of a nine. That's incredible yeah. because what what that combination does, it gives you the best possible top line, right? You're playing yes. your best left winger, your yeah. best center, and your best right winger right. together on the top line, and it gives you solid depth on two and three, right? Obviously, you could throw Marshall back with Carlson and Smith and make the second. That's probably making your second line as good as possible, Marshall, Carlson, Smith. And but just, by by flipping one of them down. Yeah, and marked down to the third line right. by having one of the misfits on the third line. You're talking about, you know, spreading that depth a little bit more and a potential March. So Stevenson dad, third line is a really good third line should be a really good third line. Anyways, we'll see how these players actually play together. There'll probably be, we'll probably see quite a few different um, line combinations before the end of the year. Cause guys are going to get hurt and they'll have a bad two game stretch and DeBoro will mix everything up. But for the time being, I think that's a solid way to go about it. Was there a call-in discussion with Stevie? There had to be. There had to be. Does there have to be? I think they have to say, this is what we're doing. Yeah, I think there has to be. I think you found that I on mean, Twitter. I mean, you think Stevie just went in and... You found that on Twitter. The lines were on the chalkboard for the day, and he said, oh, damn, I'm down on the third line. You might now. have. Who's this Eichel guy? Who's this Eichel guy? Can't we put him back in the non-contact jersey? Wouldn't that be more <laughs> fun? Fuchsia? Yeah, the fuchsia what, jersey. What, what, color, what color is coming out yeah. today? So... That's uh that's your and here's the thing to go back to our conversation at seven o'clock when we talked about the Golden Knights using long term IR and maybe doing it mischievously. This is why you do it. That top nine I just said out loud. That's why you do yeah. it because if you don't, if Mark Stone doesn't go on long term IR, two of those players might be gone. Right? You might be having to move Smith and Dodonov. Right? There's two guys on that top nine that might have to be gone, or from your blue line, whatever you end up doing there. That's not your top nine, most likely, if Mark Stone isn't on long-term. This way, I still think they're going to have to waive someone, right? Uh, they got to make like a guy, guy who's making like less than a million. Change, yeah. yeah, they just like got a guy to, in the seven or yeah. eight hundred thousand. Right? I, I cap friendly tweeted out. They were like Michael Amadio as an example would be enough, and he's okay. making seven hundred something or whatever. Right. So Amadio, yeah, that's fine. You're you're perfectly fine with, especially with that nine. Yes, you're listen, Amadio, fine. we like you, but look at who our top <laughs> nine is right now. Because he. Might not even get claimed off waivers, right? It's like, true. Like there's true. guys you could put down that maybe don't get claimed right. and they true. just go to Henderson for the time being. Yeah. And then that's even better. But that top nine is why you do what the Golden Knights are doing with Mark Stone on long term IR, because that top nine should be really good. And the other part of this, by the way, your fourth line, again, I'm being stupid and saying they're going to be healthy when we know they're clearly not going to be healthy. But, like, your fourth line, you're picking between, like, Nick Waugh gets to be on the fourth line. Yeah. Like, uh, Will Carrier gets to be on the fourth line, which is normal. Nolan Patrick, if he's even in the line, Nolan Patrick might be a healthy scratch if they're healthy. Um, so your fourth line at that point isn't a 
completely like no, wasteful. No, it's not a throwaway line, line. Right. It's not a wasteful line. It's it's decent. You're you know playoff time. They're still probably only playing like eight minutes because look at the other three lines. They're really good. But it's not like the most terrific line. You can have. The Golden Knights have played some bad fourth lines this year because of injury. Like they've had guys that you would have never even thought were playing in the NHL playing on their fourth line this year. That won't be the case if they manage to be healthy because their top nine is going to be stacked for this playoff run. Man, I'm fascinated to see how far he comes back and if he can be the same player. So can't wait to watch this. I don't get too jacked up or excited anymore about you know watching sports in terms of like being fascinated with stuff. I'm fascinated to see how good he is because. He, in all seriousness, Jack Eichel should be the best player on the team. Yes. Jack Eichel should be better than Mark yeah. Stone, Petrangelo, yeah. whoever you want to put it at, at the top of the list. He should be the best player on the team. And that is why the Golden Knights traded for him, right? They they gave up Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs. Like, they gave up a decent haul for Jack Eichel, and it's because he should be the best player yeah. on the team. And... You don't listen. You don't put yourself in this salary cap hell. And granted, it might not even be hell because Mark Stone's a long-term IR. But you don't put yourself in this situation for the hey, he's the fourth best player on the team. Right. You do all this because Jack Eichel. You put well, the him best on players the, in the world, best player on the team, and that's the that is the long-term expectation, right? This postseason run, Jack Eichel needs to be the best player on the yeah. team, right? That's the expectation here. Will he get there is another question because That's he's coming back from part. neck surgery, hasn't yeah. played in so long, has never played in a postseason game, right? Will he be that good? I we don't know. We'll find out. Wednesday, when he scores two goals and has an assist, oh, we're, we're, don't we're giving him the cup. It. We are giving them the cup Can Thursday you imagine morning. the reaction either from the press box or <laughs> from the stands or both if this guy scores two goals and has an assist we're giving him we're giving him the cup on Thursday oh Ed. man if that happens i'm waking up extra early to listen in just to hear his reaction <laughs> listen in you'll still be where you're at we're giving Jared, him the cup. Jared's going to have some days off <laughs> what do you mean listen in you better be here at 6:30 we are giving them the cup if he's got two goals in that game against if they oh, beat the the avalanche they win like 5-3 and he's got two goals and an assist what's the, the avalanche in their last like 40 games have won like 35 times. Yeah. Like they're, they're on. And I think the, McKinnon's back. Right. They're on one of the most unbelievable runs you've seen. If they beat the avalanche and Jack Eichel scores two goals, we're giving them the cup. <laughs> the golden Knights get the Stanley cup on February 16th. That is what happens. Oh, this guy is great. I can only imagine the response. We're giving them the cup. No doubt about it. Now, if, if the avalanche scored three times while Eichel's two? on the ice, he doesn't have any points. Oh, what a terrible yeah. trade. Bring back Alex Tuck. <laughs> Going to be a nightmare. Fire the entire front office. Get him out of here. It's one way or the other. That's Thursday morning. There's your preview for Thursday morning. By the way, one other thing on the Golden Knights. Robin Leonard. How about Robin Leonard with the upper body all of a sudden? Uh, Logan Thompson got recalled. Kelly McCrimmon yesterday said Leonard's status is uncertain for Wednesday's game, which I took to mean not long term, right? Yes. I granted the Golden Knights aren't always the most forthcoming with injuries, so he could say uncertain, and that just means well he's not going to play for a month. But I took that to mean not a long-term injury for Leonard, but certainly like what's your concern level there? I mean, I am concerned somewhat because all of a sudden a lot of these we knew Mark Stone was hurt. I think this is the first time we've heard of Robin Leonard. Now he they didn't do very well his last time out, um, so maybe he hurt himself there. But uh, you're right. You never know what the level of concern is because they're just so secretive about this stuff. He could he could be on the – I'm going to go out this morning. He could be on the ice this morning, right? Could he be. He could yeah. skate out there, and he could be out there, and all of a sudden he's starting tomorrow yeah. night. Could be. 
Um, I would venture to guess, though, he misses I don't Wednesday. think it is because I think McCrimmon would have said right. he could be back tomorrow. I think if they expected him to be back on Tuesday or even if they expected him to be back on Wednesday. They would have said it. Logan Thompson doesn't get called Or he out. doesn't get called They up. would have had what's the point? Darren Millard in yes. goal or something Millsy like that. would be in goal for practice. Right. But because Logan Thompson got called up, I, I kind of think it means Leonard's going to miss at least Wednesday's game. But it probably doesn't sound too terribly long-term. All right, coming up next. It's Bischoff's Briefs, where we get optimistic about UNLV football. Bischoff's Briefs. I'm asking you if you know the difference between right and wrong. I discovered at a very early age that if I talk long enough, I could make anything right or wrong. Bischoff's Briefs. So either I'm God or truth is relative. Bischoff's Briefs. And in either case, booyah. Bischoff's Briefs. You want to get optimistic about UNLV football? Absolutely. Does Why that not? that sound fun? Yeah, sounds good. Sounds I don't know new. how optimistic we're going to get. Like, I don't know if we're putting them in a bowl game just yet, but we're going to get a little optimistic here about UNLV football. Certainly better than my chickens. That's for sure. Um, SP plus my favorite efficiency ranking for uh, college football. The preseason rankings are out from Bill Connolly. He'll make some adjustments as the offseason goes on. UNLV is not projected to be the worst team in the Mountain West. They are not even projected to be the second worst team wow. in the Mountain West. It's positive. Uh, UNLV comes in ranked 109th out of 131 teams okay. in total. It's an improvement. New Mexico, Hawaii. Yes, Hawaii. And <laughs> Nevada are all projected to be worse. Nevada with a new coach. And they lost a ton of players. So, uh, Quarterback, so many guys are gone. Yeah. yeah, lost Carson Strong, but then a bunch of guys actually transferred with Norvell to Colorado State. They lost a ton of So was Colorado State second? <laughs> <laughs> so three teams. That makes UNLV the projected ninth best team in the Mountain West next well, season. Well, listen, from all we've said, if you can't be rated ahead of Hawaii... <laughs> Who I'm not even sure has a program anymore. Do they have so a coach? I don't, well, they don't have a coach or a program. <laughs> they, they might have a coach. And here's where it gets even better. All three of those bad teams are on, on UNLV schedule. schedule. All three of them. So UNLV has three conference games <sighs> where right now they should be a projected favorite. Now, it's, you know, one and a half point favorite, three point favorite. They're not, you know, a 10 point favorite over any of these teams. But they should be small favorites in some of these games. Certainly not massive, but small enough and reason to think they can win those games. Now, you take those three teams, New Mexico, Hawaii, and Nevada, bad teams on the schedule. They also have games against San Jose State, Utah State, and North Texas. All three of those teams rank worse than 80th in SP+. Right? Meaning... Those are going to be toss-up games, right? Those are games where UNLV probably an underdog, but a two-point underdog, right? Certainly games that UNLV could win. Uh, you throw in their one non-Division one game next year, and UNLV suddenly has seven winnable games on the schedule. They're going to a bowl game. Winnable, not wins. Winnable, Ed. They have five other games uh, where they will probably be significant underdogs, most likely. Now, granted, you can still upset one of those teams. So, if we run through this, all right, they play three teams rated worse than them and one non-division team. So, that's four games where UNLV will probably be favorites. But, again, some of those will be small favorites. They'll probably lose one of those four. 
So if they go three and one in those games, we'll, we'll give them three and one. And let's say they upset somebody. Let's say they pull off an upset in one of the games against five good teams, right? So they're three and one against the bad teams. They're one and four against the good teams, right? So now we're talking about four and five is their record. And they have three games left against teams that are slightly better than them in San Jose State, Utah State, and North Texas. They'd have to win two of those in this scenario to get to six wins and go to a bowl game. So have we mentioned Idaho State? Yeah, they're one of the okay. bad teams. They at Cal, and this is the year they play Notre Dame. Yes, Forgot that's about one that. of the good teams there. Yes, this is one of the good teams. <laughs> that's not the one I'm giving them a win. No. <laughs> there are seven winnable games, and then you probably pull off an upset or have a chance to pull off an upset in there. Seven winnable games plus an upset. That gives them a shot at a bowl game, but things are going to have to go extremely right for UNLV. They're going to have to win close games, right? This last season, they lost almost all their close games. They're going to have to win close games next season, and they're going to have to win more than they lose. They can't just go, you know, oh, they finished three and three in games decided by single possession. They're going to have to win, you know, they're going to go five and one, four and two in those games to have a shot at a bowl game. But it's much more optimistic. It's a much better path, a much more realistic yeah. path than the last couple of years where we've gone into the last couple of years where it's been UNLV not favored in any game they're <laughs> playing, right? Favored against Eastern Washington, and that's it, right? Favored against the one FCS school. It's a much more optimistic look. You And, and here's the thing. UNLV, uh, 109th under Arroyo, if that's where they end up ranked, that'll be a slight improvement from the last couple of years. The bigger part of this equation is the bottom of the Mountain West getting a lot worse. Nevada and Hawaii becoming horrific programs like overnight and New Mexico kind of staying. New Mexico has been at the bottom with UNLV for the last few years where it's like, eh, that's a really bad program. So, but part of this is a lot more about the rest of the Mountain West getting bad than UNLV hasn't gotten significantly better if they finish well, 109. Hey, you win as many as you can. Yeah. You play the schedule. And you kind of convinced me that they're going to a bowl game. I did? You put, yeah, you did. I just said there's winnable no, games you did. on the you schedule. Convinced They've got to win all the winnable games. That's not happening. So what would you set their, right now, I've been trying to find it, but I don't see it out. What would you set their over-under win total? Last year four. was one and a half. I think three and a half. And if you're optimistic, four and a half. But I think three and a half is probably where you go. Because, again, like, take New Mexico, for example. UNLV, New Mexico. UNLV's probably should be favored to win that game. But like they're a two and a half point favorite, right? It's here. Same for Nevada, right? It's like ah, uh, you 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 probably favored to win that game right now, but you're not an eight and a half point favorite, right? right? You're a small favorite, and if you lose that, if we're doing probabilities, you know, he has a fifty nine percent chance to beat Nevada, a sixty two percent chance to beat New Mexico, which means there's basically a forty percent chance you lose one of them, right? You or lose either one, so. It's small favorites, so just because you're better than four teams on your schedule doesn't mean you're beating four teams on your schedule. But at the same time, you should probably upset somebody as well. So They've, they've got a stretch here. Air Force, Fresno, Nevada, New Mexico all at home. Air Force. Four straight at home. They go at San Diego State. at Their, their conference is at Hawaii, at San Diego State. Uh, oh, at San Jose State, four at home, and then they go at Utah State. So they that, make up some ground with those four. That stretch will probably be the key to them going to a yeah. bowl game because yeah. you said Air Force, Fresno, Air Force, Fresno, Nevada, New Mexico. So you're two that, two that there. four game stretch. I'm thinking three and one. You're probably going to need to go three and one. You're probably going to need to upset one of the good teams, Air Force or Fresno, or Fresno State, 
and take care of both home games against New Mexico and Nevada. And if you go three and one there, that'll probably put, that'll probably be what pushes them towards a bowl game. If they go two and two, maybe if they go one and three, it's probably over, right? You're probably not going to, right. if you go one and three in that stretch, you're probably not going to a bowl right. game because then you're going to have to upset somebody on the road or something. You're going to have to have beaten Notre Dame or something like that <laughs> along the way to get there. But that'll be, that'll probably be the, the key stretch to UNLV going to a bowl game next year. And let me ask you this expectation wise for Marcus Arroyo. He took over a program that had won at least four games, four straight years and had a five win season in there as well. Immediately went uh, uh, over last year, got a couple of wins on it. So he's got two wins in two years. Expectation wise. I'm sitting here telling you they're not the worst team in the mountain West. They've got seven ish winnable games on the schedule over under might be three and a half, maybe four and a half wins next year. What are the expectations for us to say, like, okay, let me ask you this. What are the expectations for him to fail to meet that he actually gets fired? Oh, that he actually gets fired? Yeah. Zero, one, or two? So if he wins three, if they're three and nine, you think that's enough for him to come back? I guess it depends on how they look. They're three and nine with a bunch of close losses, then and I you're think like, oh, well, they for blew. a third year. I probably, think he comes it's probably back. fair. If they're three and nine with nine losses by 28. Right, then... Yeah, yeah, he probably probably move on, but I think he comes back at three and nine. I think that's fair, and I, I so I think the schedule thinks he's winning more than three games. Right, but we're basically putting this at four wins. Marcus Arroyo's safe. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, four absolutely. wins. He's safe. Yeah, for one more year. I think it's entirely fair to say bowl game or fired. Yeah. Wow. He took over a program that had won four games every time. Four games, right? He didn't take over a zero-win program, and he's won two in two years. He, has, he, by being bad, has reset the bar even lower than it was when Sanchez left. So if you say two or three wins is fine, you're basically saying, well, we let Marcus Arroyo drag the expectations back down to the absolute floor. Whereas in re- when Marcus Arroyo was hired, there's a new athletic director, but when Marcus Arroyo was hired, if you said he hasn't been to a bowl game in three years, we would have said complete failure. We would have said absolute failure of a hire if he doesn't have that program in a bowl game in three years. We've reset the expectations because of how bad this program has been in the last two years to well, where four wins is acceptable. I mean, if he does come back, it's good in a 2023 that he opens at Michigan. <laughs> Vanderbilt. At, that becomes a tough one in his third year, Vandy, which, you know, bad SEC team, but, you know, it's SEC team. At BYU, at Colorado State, at Fresno State, at Reno, Boise at home, San Diego State at home. I, think, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. We're like, okay, could we be looking at another one in? One I mean, in I, you know, we're jumping two years ahead. Wait, their schedule is Michigan, Vandy, BYU. Unless, unless this is wrong, and it says 2023 UNLV football schedule. This is what I'm reading. You can look it up. 2023 football schedule. Unless they've made changes, drop games, which is every possibility. And if Mark Wallington's listening, please call in immediately and tell him tell me I'm wrong. But I'm looking at 2023 UNLV football schedule. Tell me what you see. Jesus. It is. It's at Michigan, Vandy and, and Vegas and at BYU. Yeah. But then again, oh if, if Norvell gets it going at Colorado State, you have to go there, you have to go Fresno, you have to go, you know, second year for the Reno coach, Boise at home, San Diego State at home, at Wyoming, in which would have been Look at late there. That's going to be November. That's and Wyoming's well, the usually dates pretty aren't good. Set. The dates aren't set for okay. The okay, conference you're right. You're right. You're the right. non-conference I think is set, but the, the conference talking, okay. schedule I'm, won't be set. The, the road games, though, you right. know where they're playing. Okay, you're right. You're right. So in that in that context, 
if he doesn't go to a bowl game this year, he's not going to a bowl game in year four. Well, unless he beats Michigan. <laughs> he probably needs to go to a bowl game this year. That's all I'm saying. Coming up next, Jerome Weitzman joins the show. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Joining us now is your own Weitzman. You can find his work at Fox Sports. Um, all right. He wrote a great story, by the way, about Daryl Morey and the Sixers trading for James Harden and how this was a culmination uh, from when James Harden was still in Houston. But I want to pick out one fun detail from that story, your own. Uh, basically, you had sure. it there that Daryl Morey thought that Ben Simmons, back when James Harden was still with Houston, that Ben Simmons should feel flattered at the idea that he would be traded for James Harden. Um, yes. Is there a question or are you just asking me? <laughs> I, I just love that detail Response. so much in terms of how Daryl Morey thinks that like Simmons might not be like hurt because of relationships he has. And those could have been uprooted because he was traded and Daryl Morey thinks, well, I was going to trade you for James Harden. You should be flattered that that was even a possibility. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, so in the story, right, I have the, I have the, uh, I have the reference. I probably should have connected these two actually, which is my bad, but there's a reference early in the story about. Oh, there you, you You felt it too. You yeah. felt like some crackling early. I had to like, I thought it was the headphones, but I guess not. What a nightmare there. What happened? This happened like twice, by the way, last week. Just cut off? Just random. Like one was at Radio Row. I think the internet went down or something, but one was on the phone. I can't remember who it was on the phone and just all of a sudden, just no more. Phones are gone. So I hope I, it was me. I think I... <laughs> I was hoping you would talk to us when you were on the shuttle. You could have gotten <laughs> yeah. away with How it then. How much did you want me talking loud oh, on the shuttle? I wanted people, people yelling around. at you while you were then on the shuttle. Up. All right. Your own Weitzman's back with us. Uh, I'm you back. Can, you can start over. We got like one sentence out of you, and then it was just gone. Weird. Strange. Uh, they're hacking our phones. Anyway, uh, I had a story, an anecdote. Basically, Shane Battier, when uh, you know, Maury and the Sixers, they found out. I was kind of like looking, poking around, seeing what's going on. Basically, they had... Well, Daryl Morey had Shane Battier call me to tell me how great Daryl Morey is, right? <laughs> They're friends in the time in Houston. And, and, and so the part where Shane Battier said at one point he was angry at Daryl and he still, because Daryl traded him for a shoot to beat and uh, pick, and I forget who the other player was now. Um, and Shane Battier always said to him, I can't believe he traded me for a shoot to beat. So like, it's kind of full circle, right? Like the idea that he, NBA players care about who they're traded for. <laughs> I think Morey uh, believes is probably true. So, does Ben Simmons, do you think at all Ben Simmons today is saying, yeah, at least I got traded for James Harden, not Hasim the beat? Is that, is that all he's saying? Sure, you know, if he can go on this plaque, right? I, I actually, I started out where I'm a rabbit hole, but I tried before the trade deadline. I tried um, seeing if this could be actually a story that I could write, you know, do players care about who they're traded for? Um, and I spoke to uh, D'Angelo Russell, who's gotten traded for Durant and who else is the Wiggins. I thought he'd be a good guy. He said he didn't feel that way, but in locker rooms, other players do say like he he has heard other examples which he refused to divulge. But that that is a thing that NBA players kind of care about and pay attention to. So there we go. How much credit should we be giving Daryl Morey for uh, waiting it out and getting the difference maker he said he was going to get all along? Oh, a ton! Like I was wrong. I thought he made a mistake. I thought he was playing it incorrectly. Right? I was wrong. He was right. He traded Ben Simmons for. Um, you know, if you asked him a year and a half ago when he first got to the job, like who would be the guy you want? He would have said James Harden, right? This is the guy, like, it is the guy he wants. He got his number one target. You can um, 
you can discuss and uh, you know, argue whether he should have wanted this and whether this is the right target. That's a separate con- like question, conversation. But he got his number one target by pulling out in a way that we, no one really has ever done before and that I, many people, myself included, um, thought was a miscalculation. So yeah, you got to give him a ton of credit for that. They've been bad. We understand that. We also understand the injuries. And if he's only playing half the games, how much should we believe if they're completely healthy and the Nets come playoff time? How much we believe in the Nets? Uh, I don't even know. I mean, you have, it's a, it's a, um, a tough question. And without Kyrie, I don't think they can. The East is really good. If Kyrie's only playing half the games, they're going to be in trouble. I thought today, Ben Simmons had his press conference today. I thought one thing was interesting because you know, some people have been saying, like, if the Sixers, if he doesn't want to play in Philadelphia and the Nets were to match up with, with the Sixers, would Ben not play in Philadelphia? And today in the press conference, he was asked about is um, the Nets play in Philadelphia March 11th, I believe, and Ben said he's hoping to play them. Um, so I thought that was interesting and telling, and if you're a Nets fan, so I don't know if any really exists, but if you're and more of an NBA observer, let's say, right? Um, the idea that that's something that should be exciting. Um, but the, Kyrie is kind of the guy who will click this all into place. If he's there, then Ben can be the third guy and do his thing. If he's not there, um, they could be in trouble. Are, have the Nets for two seasons now been more of a hypothetical, theoretical team than an actual basketball team? I mean, I guess. Like we saw like against Boston when the three of them were healthy last in the playoffs and they rampaged them, right? Uh, or even that game this year, I forget what it was, um, in Chicago when the three played and they beat the Bulls, who are, I think, in first place now or second place in the East. Um, they beat them by 30 in Chicago. Um, so, yeah, when they're all together, they're fantastic. But, yeah, I mean, between... Well, I think what was it, 13 games or 16 games? I forget what the number is that those three guys have played together. Um, partly because of Harding's uh, hamstring and lack of a desire to be in Brooklyn, and partly because of the vaccination mandates that uh, for some reason Kyrie feels like he is not required to participate in, which he has yet to explain why. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, can Philly with Embiid and Harden, could they actually come out of the East? They can, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily make them my pick, but for sure, right? Like, there are a lot of questions. You have to see, first of all, can Harden and Beat both perform at their highest level in the playoffs? They have not done so throughout their careers. For Embiid, that's usually been um, health reasons, right? For Harden, it's been because he has not been a good playoff player. That's, uh, that's the, biggest, the biggest knock on his resume, so we'll have to see that. Um, the East is really good. Milwaukee, Miami, who we're all kind of ignoring, they're still both fantastic. The Nets, everyone's there, are great. Um, Philly's good. Um, I'm not. Chicago's really good. I'll put them on levels below those other four. Um, so any of those four teams, like I would not be surprised if any of those four teams represented the East in the final. So I think the Sixers for sure can get there. Um, we'll have to see how it all clicks together. But yeah, 100% they can do it. Your own White's been with us. You also wrote a story about Jared Allen, and a lot of that focused on how he cares about things that aren't basketball and how that was viewed as a negative thing by a lot of, Oh, we lost him again. What happened? All right. Don't, don't worry. You, Danny, you can call him back and say we're good, but his phone phone connection wasn't great anyways, but I like your own a lot, but so I'll continue that with you, Ed, by the way, Uh, he wrote a story about Jared Allen playing for the Cavaliers this year. And basically Jared Allen likes things that aren't basketball, right? Like he'd consider himself a nerd. Like he's apparently built his own computer, right? He bakes bread and all that stuff. And he at one bread. at one point he was asked about, according to your own story, he got asked like, could you live without basketball? And he said, well, yeah, I could live without basketball. Like I don't need basketball to survive. And that was apparently a perceived weakness. All right, your own. We're trying, we're trying it again. You got us. 
Uh, yeah, so I'm okay. in my apartment. It's weird. I swear it's not me. I didn't right. do anything. But, it's okay. Uh, Listen, where I yeah. live, if a plane flies over my house, the phone is gone and it's done for. Is, so. that, is, is that actually true? Is that actually true? Well, I, it is my theory based on when my calls get dropped <laughs> and I look outside and hear There's an airplane. Plane. So that's that's my theory for the moment. But on uh, your Jared Allen story, do you think organizations have gotten to a point where they shouldn't hold it against a player just because he likes things that aren't basketball? For sure. And what, what I found, yeah, the short answer is yeah, right? But it's just the idea that you have to understand. You can't, be, you can't, simply, you can't look to evaluate these guys in such a simple way, right? So I think about Jared Allen is interesting, and you know, plug it because he just got named to the All-Star team as a replacement for Harden, um, which there's some great synergy in the guy who was kind of a throw into the Harden trade being at, named as an All-Star um, <laughs> filler for him. But it's not just that, like, you know, if you like if you like science, you're a nerd, therefore you can play basketball, right? It's the idea that the Jared Allen thing is if you understood what it is that he's so interested, that interests him so much about these outside topics, it's that he's, he's got his growth mindset. His growth mindset is how um, his former coach, Shaka Smart, in Texas, explained it to me. And, like, the idea that he loves to learn and he loves the challenge of learning. And if you look at that and then you look at how he's improved, he talks to people throughout his NBA career, and you see a connection that, like, it's all connected. So it's not just that... He's a nerd, and therefore, and I don't know if he loves the term nerd, but I'll call him a nerd, whatever, right? It's not, it's not just that he's a nerd, and therefore, we say that I get sort of an outdated take to be like a nerd can't play basketball. It's the idea that, hey, look at how he thinks, and if you look at how he thinks and how he approaches his other skills and interests in life, you could have maybe seen, not maybe not foreseen this, but foreseen that this guy would be somebody who would get better when he made the NBA. Well, and I think it's... I would think that the team thinks it's a breath of fresh air also because it doesn't hurt that he's really good. For sure, right? That's the, yeah, for sure, right? Like you can't, right? You, you know, you can be, it's great. If you're a uh, six or five ten nerd who can't jump, then yeah, you're not going to be able to play <laughs> the NBA, right? If you're seven one and athletic, then yeah, it helps. And then you try to, so 100%. But Make as much past, bread as you, you want. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, do you have a quick or easy way to explain how the Cavaliers got this good? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, a lot of bites at the apple in the lottery. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's, there are a couple of interesting things. One is that they've ignored, they've ignored, um, fit in terms of their draft boards, right? They had Colin Sexton and then Darius Garland. They had him as their top player on the board. They drafted him, gave him, you know, it, at first it would be weird. A lot of teams would have picked two undersized guards like that back to back. I think it was back to back years. The Cavs went with Garland and he's been great, right? Sexton, he's going to be, um, Probably on a different team next year. Um, they had Jared Allen already, and they just, you know, they got lucky, went up to the draft at number three. Evan Mobley was there. They said, you know what, we're going to take Evan Mobley, even though we already have Jared Allen, um, because we think Evan Mobley is the best player in the draft. And they did that. So, right, you know, there's a lesson there to be had in terms of ignore things that get the best players and work on the fit later. Um, the other answer is luck, like getting number three pick in a year where a guy like Evan Mobley is there, where, you know, I live in New York City. The Knicks got the number three pick recently in a year. They just missed out on Zion and John Morant, and they get R.J. Barrett. He's a good player, but not a game-changer, right? So there's always some lottery luck. Like, the whole draft thing is that you need to have luck in the lottery, and you need to get lucky in the right year, right? Those are two different parts of it, um, which are important. Um, so you put all that, and J.B. Bickerstaff's a really good coach. You put together a really good defense. You have some good talent. You add some good talent. You build them on your defense, and suddenly you can kind of jump. Now, I don't think... Like, if you ask me for an explanation of how they become, what are they, like, three games out of first place? Like, I don't, I don't have a – we haven't seen that really ever. I don't have, I don't have an explanation of that. Um, but I just know that there are some lessons to be taken from here.
their ceiling is what this year? The Cavs? Uh, anyway, I'd be shocked if they won a playoff series. Again, think of that oh. the teams I named, right? The four teams I named. Okay? You'd have to beat, you'd have, they don't have to beat Miami, probably have to beat either Miami, Milwaukee, Brooklyn or Philadelphia. Again, I guess it depends on the standings that Brooklyn doesn't come back, whatever. You could throw Chicago in there. Like, I don't think they're beating any of those teams in the playoff series. But that's not because they're bad. It's just ahead of schedule. It's because Jared Allen's spending too much time baking bread. That's why. That too. That too. Yeah, that's not, no good. No good. <laughs> well, he is your own Weitzman. Again, find his work at Fox Sports. Thank you so much for joining us, even though it was kind of a broken mess. Thanks, your own. <laughs> My fault, guys. Sorry. Thanks. Oh, good. So, your own Weitzman there. Again, he wrote a really good story on Daryl Morey and the uh, acquisition of James Harden, basically tying it back to Daryl Morey wanting James Harden from the moment he got to Philadelphia. Right. And the culminate, it happened. He finally got him. There was another team involved before <laughs> James Harden got there, but it finally happened. And Daryl Morey did land his guy. Uh, so, we'll see. I am fascinated to see Harden and Embiid. Like, yes. Th- here's the thing with the Sixers. Those two at their peak, if you if you get peak Harden, peak Embiid, they're winning the East. That's happening. There's a but there. The problem is, like your own said, Embiid hasn't been healthy, and Harden's been terrible in the playoffs, uh, especially in like important games, you know, big games where they can win a series when it's three two or three three. So it's it's a massive but, and also Harden hasn't been good in a month, right? Mm-hmm. Harden had started off bad, had. I don't know, a month stretch where he was really good again right. and then hasn't been good in a month. So if you got Pete Harden and Embiid, I'll take the Sixers. I'm not convinced you're getting Pete Harden and Embiid, and the East is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about Cleveland, who's in the top three in the East right now, and your own doesn't think they're winning a playoff series. And that might be, Nets might have to go through them in the first round, yeah. right? They might have to beat them just to get to Milwaukee, then just to get to Miami or whoever's waiting at the end of the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, that might be the path for anybody, the Sixers, the Nets, anything like that. And that's, that's tough to do. Like when you've got, when you don't really get a, you know, a buy, like we've seen a lot of good teams get in the first round becomes tough when you've got to yeah. win three toss up playoff series in a row. All right. We've got tickets to give away. Volbeat is coming to Las Vegas. Thanks to Gooch yesterday. He knows who this was. Danish There's rock band, no Danish rock band, not Jared. And no I didn't way. know. I know you no don't know, chance. but they're coming to Vegas and we got tickets for you to go see Volbeat. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100. If you want to go see Volbeat, we got a pair of tickets for you. They're coming March 4th to the theater at the Virgin hotel, Las Vegas. Call at number four at 702-364-1100. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff live from the Finley Toyota ESPN, Las Vegas studios. It's been a disaster of a morning racing chickens. You we got re- that good start of to win fifty bucks. You didn't uh, race him a third time though. No, he's just raced the the two times. That three two five one has only raced twice uh, this morning. But the good news is, is I still have um, looks like about twelve more races to look forward to today. So hopefully we can come through with uh, some wins here in the second half of the day. What a disaster! Have a good morning. You're going to spend your day watching chicken races? Oh, absolutely. What else would I do? Champions League is back today. So well, chicken races say, and Champions if League soccer. Going to be, if it wasn't going to be chickens, it was going to be some weird soccer It's going to be a good afternoon. If chicken. Well, if I win some chicken races and some Champions League soccer. Great afternoon. And who are you watching in Champions League tonight? Uh, PSG plays Real Madrid. Oh, it's a good one. Messi and Mbappe against Real Madrid, who's the, winning uh, in Spain. This is the uh, bet we made with Jared. 
last year and we lost. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, I don't know not if we making ever it again. Made up on that. <laughs> I did. I took him to lunch. You did? Yeah. Uh, well, you got it in for both of us. <laughs> don't tell him to... that. Yeah, He's exactly. going to come looking for a second I lunch know. from you. Never. What's going to happen? I never took him to lunch. Chicken races, Champions League soccer. Good day. Be fun. By the way, Wednesday night, come join me. I'll show you a chicken race if you come to PT's Pub Wednesday night. Tropicana, Maryland. You have Maryland. your computer. Yeah, I'll show you a chicken race if you want to see it. Uh, UNLV Fresno State, 7.30 start. Uh, we'll be out there for watch party. Tropicana, Maryland, right by UNLV. Danny, are you there that night? Um, On Wednesday? Yeah. This week? Probably not. <laughs> I hope you're not supposed to be there. <laughs> First he said Wednesday, yes, but then he follows up with this week. It's like, man, I hope you're not there. <laughs> I, I do know I have a remote on Wednesday. I just can't remember which one it is. I uh, think Cofield's at Tom's Urban. I'm at Tom's Urban. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> so Thank God there. Tyler told you where you're going to be. Because originally I didn't know what Tom's Urban was, and then uh, Ryan told me it was in New York, New York. Yeah. All right. Chicken races. Let's go.